There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, 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 yes. Welcome to the Tim McKernan Show uh, podcast episode number two. I don't know if I'm going to keep a running tally. I don't know what I'm. I don't know what I'm doing. I just know that the the plan initially was long form interviews. We started with Gary Pinkle, uh, debuted that uh, a couple of days ago. We have former Senator Jack Danforth coming up next week. Clay Travis coming up. But when we have things that are of uh, topical interest, of substantial topical interest to the audience, I want to make sure we try and cover them as in-depth as possible. And so uh, I like the urgency that sometimes people say we're going to have an emergency Facebook Live or an emergency Periscope. <laughs> so joining me here in the studios to have an emergency uh, podcast is the great Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and also heard on 590 The Fan KFNS. Hello, Derek. Hello. One of these things is not like the others. You got Pinkle, Danforth, Travis, and myself. I think you're senatorial. Is that an adjective? You would be able to tell me if that's an adjective. Oh, yeah. yeah no, it definitely. is sweet. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a nice one. Yeah, it's, it's a strong one. <laughs> I think a little bit too strong in this. I would not compare myself to him or to that But uh, that I'm rank. telling you, when I said we're going to sit down, well, I said I was going to do a podcast. People said, oh, I'd love to hear you and Derek Gould talk. And I really? All right. Well... That's Here we go. Easy enough. Well, this is perfect. Yeah. Because Good we're timing. fresh off that uh, the press conference, and a lot of people reacted to that because it had a different tone than those usual end of the year press conferences. Mm-hmm. My sense was there was some urgency, and there really usually hasn't been an undercurrent, at least, of urgency for those because they're usually coming off of um, either a postseason run or have a lot of equity with the fan base to the point that they can say, yeah, we might not have done this, but just recently we did that. And now I feel like there is a need for things to happen, not just this off season, but in the 2018 season. So as you were sitting there yesterday, what stood out to you as you heard Mike Matheny, John Mazalak, and Michael Gersh talk? I think, I think you're right on that urgency thing. And I think it goes back to the great rearrangement. Um, I, heard a tone that day when Mo stood up there and said that they were changing some of the staffs and letting Maloney go and adding Pop Warner to the, I, I heard a sort of line being verbally drawn that I had never heard before. Um, the front office had, whether it came to the development of players or the development of its manager or the development of a season, always shown a level of patience, like that we know what's best and that this is going to come around that was the day where it was clear that it's like, no, now there are higher stakes and there's going to be an impatience with the roster. I mean, you could even probably trace it back to the Peralta move, which are, or the Broxton move, which honestly, a few years ago, we would have seen linger for a little while. Right. But there was definitely um, a trace amount of urgency that then grew exponentially into culminating in that press conference. And I think the other strain 
that stood out to me was that everybody's ready to move on from 2017. There was really nothing about that team or that production or those standings or those results that anybody wanted to revisit. Learn from maybe, um, but revisit, no. They didn't need to relive the highlights. Even the list of things that the team accomplished, which Mo likes to give in his opening statement, was really reduced. And when you look into it, two of the things that he, he mentioned um, was the production of Tommy Pham and the, the arrival of Paul DeYoung, both of whom opened in Memphis. So in a lot of ways, 2017 was a celebration of Memphis in every way possible. And the Major League team was ready to move on from that. That's and a key difference from 2016 agree. to me is the, is, the, is, the, is the emergence of players from Memphis. Agree. From a quote-unquote fan standpoint, talk show host, whatever I am, I have no idea. But the feeling I had watching this team, to me was similar when I was watching the 2016 team. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the fact that they kind of lingered in the wild card race in 2016, whereas this year they wound up lingering in both of them, I felt like it did a disservice to the organization's long-term and potentially short-term prospects because they didn't want to make sell moves because they appeared to be in it. While I would have to think deep down internally, they knew that they really weren't a championship caliber ball club and so for the second year in a row, minus unloading Mike Leake, they essentially stood pat during the season. Do you see those similarities? Do you disagree on that? Boy, that's it's interesting. I, I'm not sure I I'm not sure I do. Um I think twenty sixteen they lingered in the uh in the wild card race, partially because they never played to the performance that they thought. They were undermined by their defense. They had some other flaws, the fundamental flaws. They just were unrecognizable. Um, but they had the talent to kind of overcome those, and they saw that in fits and starts and then really some bursts, too. 2017, they were in it only because of the play of teams around them, and th that, to me, is a really different equation. Um, if the Cubs are underachieving and you're counting on them to stay that, that, that to be their new norm, when you know the talent they have, you know that Look, their pitching was thin. They didn't have the pitching depth, but that lineup was a titan, and they were going to win the games that they got well-pitched. Oh, and they go and get Quintana. Yeah. So they're going to get more games well-pitched. So, um, you know, I, I think that's where that equation was off a little bit is that they were in the, in the division race and in the wild-card race because the Rockies didn't put it away, because the Cubs didn't put it away, not because the Cardinals had better in them. The one thing that they clung to that made sense and now – when we look back at the outcome of yesterday's or the big announcement of yesterday's meeting might might make people scratch their head, is that they had the pitching. Um, pitching yeah. can take you a lot of places, especially in October. Um, and bullpenning, as we're seeing, we saw that in the wild card game when the Yankees and the Twins go immediately to their bullpens and just unleash the hounds in a one-game um, team where they, or one-game playoff where they have the rosters that don't have the starters in it. You just throw one inning after one inning, or if a guy gets hot, go three like they did with Robertson. Um, pitching can solve a lot of things. And the Cardinals did feel, and, and rightly so, that they had the pitching to catch fire and that that would carry them if they could just get to October. I'm not carrying far in October, but if everybody sunk to their level and let them into the race, then come October where everybody starts at zero, they did have the pitching to at least make it interesting. So naturally the strength of the team, this pitching, um, if not pitching usage, I want to draw a line there. 
Um, but the strength of the team in pitching um, is the one that gets addressed with the coaches being fired. That's exactly or let what I, go. Well, that's exactly where I was going next. So yeah. the one thing that held on to any form of hope for Cardinal fans uh, and perhaps the organization, the pitching, is the thing that is addressed immediately, and that is parting ways with Derek Lilliquist. Yeah. Were you shocked by that? Because the cat, and sometimes I know he knows things and he can't say things, but on the Ryan Kelly morning afterward, he said himself, unprodded, I was really surprised by that. Yeah, and talking to Lilliquist over the previous weekend, um, you know, I he... His contract was up, and he was aware of what that meant and what that could mean. Um, it allows the team to pivot in another direction. We see that with players, you know, whether it's going to be Sangwon O or Matt Holiday. A contract's up. The team has an excuse to go in a different direction. But uh, Lily spoke, you know, about his want to return and his hope to return and looking out at the arms that they had and what role he could play in it. And in some ways, I think he saw himself as... Um, a way to defend the talent as well as nurture the talent. Like, look, I mean, these are my guys. I want to stand and protect them and make sure that they get the attention and get the rest and get the use that they deserve. Um, But in another way, you know, he put himself maybe in a spot where the Cardinals want to go in a different direction, um, one that maybe would put Mike Matheny, the manager, in a position to, to take input from the pitching coach and then utilize it, not just take input from the pitching coach when it comes to decisions and filter it into his own decisions. Um, I'm real eager to see how this plays out because the description that Mo gave of what he wants in the next pitching coach, you'll notice that it was Mo that gave the description of what he wants in the next pitching coach. Um, when I asked Mike what he wants, he wanted communication and knowledge and an openness to take things forward. But what most wanted was very clear. Um, and the best description that I've heard of it is that it's a pitching coordinator. Like you would have a defensive coordinator in football, or you would have a, a um, offensive coordinator in football that this is a guy who's going to run plays. This is a guy who's going to call plays now with the advice of the head coach, but it's going to run plays and it's going to take data that is given to them um, from the front office and put on an iPad or put on the stack of cards that the Cardinals have and that it's going to be, all right, here's a pathway to make these choices. Well, it sounds like they're That's creating not all that a unusual. special kind of position to customize it to the manager. Cubs have it. You know, I mean, the Cubs have the great mad genius, Joe Madden, and yet, you know, their pitchers will credit some of their pitchers. Some of their pitchers are irritated by it, I'm sure. Some of the veteran guys, um, mainly because John Lackey's irritated by everything except for the fit of his cowboy boots. But, um, you know, they have a run prevention coordinator. They have a catching coach. And those guys put together hyper-detailed scouting reports. What pitch to throw to what guy, when, and where to throw it stuff. Um, you know, that's the new age. I mean, that's that's where we, you know, we have so much data thrown at us, and it's even more increasingly public with the advent of StatCast. But, you know, basically what Lilliquist and really Dave Duncan, what Dave Duncan was able to do with his treasure troves of stuff where he would track where a guy hit what pitch and help that inform um, approaches down the road or what pitches were called by what guys or what suggestions were made to the catchers. We're all now they do it with, you know, the power of a computer, not the power of Dave Duncan. Mm-hmm. And 
that has led to a really, um, I'll use the, the, the word again, hyper-specialized approach to pitching. Um, what the Cardinals want is somewhat that, but they also want to be aware that starters are going less and less. You know, it's it's really, you know, it used to be a given where you'd look for a guy who could give you 30 starts and 200 innings, and this was the kind of mode to contention, that innings mattered. Um, we're now seeing that dial back to 180 is really good. And if a guy gives you 30 starts and 180 you know, or it barely gets there, mm-hmm. um, that that's really good. That's that's averaging six innings, and that's a huge thing now. Yeah. Um, you know, and you, you look then at who the Cardinals are going to turn to as far as youth. You know, are they going to get 150 innings, 175 innings from Luke Weaver? Are they going to get 120 innings from Alex Reyes? Where does Jack Flaherty, will they get 100 innings, 120 innings in the majors from Jack Flaherty? What can they count on from Adam Wainwright? Is he a 170-inning guy? I mean, you start seeing them peel back, and you realize that leaves a lot of exposed innings that bullpen management now or bullpen construction is going to be invaluable. It's, it's almost like you know the, they have for years carried a guy, an extra reliever, because Mike wants that security, even though he has no intention of ever using him. But mm-hmm. he wants that security. Well, that guy now is no longer going to be under glass. It, it's going to be he's going to be essential right. to what's going on. It's almost like the sixth starter is this floater who uh, just sops up innings every you know three times every six days that the that the starters leave um, you know uncovered, and that's the wave of the future. And to handle all that, you have to have some data driven choices. Someone who is open to that and someone who is aware of that and someone who the manager will go, yes, that that sounds good. Let's do that. Relative to other managers in baseball, how much of Mike Matheny's decisions are data driven? I, I, I wish I knew. That'd mm-hmm. be great. Um, I, I don't know. I know that they're data informed. Mm-hmm. I know that he has a high degree of data informed decisions. Um because that's the that's part of the um, the evaluation that the front office does of his job. As far as Matheny himself going into 2018, I feel like it's the first time, and I'd have to go back. I don't know. I guess there had to be a time. I don't even know if it's when you were covering the team. Maybe you could cite it. Where I feel like we're going into a cardinal season. Granted, it just ended a few days ago. Where you go, yeah, I could see the manager getting fired. I've, I, I don't recall thinking that. I, I mean, I'm certain it was going on in the La Russa era, but I don't know when realistically it would have taken place because I doubt it was happening after 2008. When did, did the banner fly over spring training? Was that 04? Was it before 04? Whatever the faction no, I they called themselves, I right? I Is do, that what I that do remember called? that. I do remember that. I think that was 04. Okay, well, yeah. good timing. Maybe another banner leads to another world championship There you banner. go. Yeah, yeah. Somebody hire a plane. Yeah, Make it happen. But all they were doing was coming off of one one non-playoff season, and they had won 83 games, if I'm not mistaken, in sure, that 2003. Sure, years of, of not going to the World Series. And not getting to the 96, World Series. 96, 2000, yeah. 2001 LDS, and then the 2002 yeah. NLCS. Although and some of them ending... Rather poorly, you know. Some of them ending Grady Little like. 
which one stood out to you in, in well, that I mean, category? You had some injuries, you know, but they were the better team a couple times going in. You know, I would say uh, that with, the, with, with the both Mets, the Mets and right, the Giants and, and the Giants yeah. and the Giants stood out, but the Mets won too. Absolutely, you know, um, they were the better team going in, and so you had. I mean, it wasn't like Grady Little in the sense that it was leaving a guy linger too long, right? But it was Grady Little in the sense that it was like, oh, this is gonna if they're going to make sort of a one decision or a one game kind of choice on their manager, you know, these things are starting to stack up. Right. So you did have that. I, I joined the beat in 2004 after the banner had flown. Um, but I was aware that it was possible that I might get a chance to um, cover baseball Um and for that the record, year. for those who aren't familiar with it, it was a banner that flew over a spring training game, right? Spring and training. What, what did it say? Oh, boy. Save our Cardinals. Save fire, our Cardinals. Fire, fire Walton, Lord. Tony. Is that what it was? Something like that. Yeah, yeah it was long. Save our Cardinals. Uh, yeah, it was, it was along those lines. Yeah. And, and um, they wanted La Russa and Walton. Yeah, yeah, it was both. Okay. Um, and the sense was, you know, the articulation of it, or sort of the read from the Cardinals' point of view, too. And then when you saw... I mean, that, that was also... An interesting time because you saw what message boards, um, sort of the precursors to what we have on Twitter, um, you know, whatever. Uh, um, what were some of the things like uh, uh, email groups or chat groups? That's what I'm looking for. Um, you know, all these names that we've kind of dusted over because we have better tech now. I'm, I'm struggling to think of. But, you know, they, they had all these explanations of it. And some of it was just impatience. Look, mm-hmm. you know, you can reach for the brass ring and and nick it with your fingernails so many times before you really ought to grab it. And if you, this group can't grab it, time to move on. To, to look back on it now, of course, with the benefit of knowing what happened in 04, 05, and 06, mm-hmm. it seems ludicrous. Right. Uh, now, who knows what's going to happen in 18, 19, and 20. But now I do feel like, I mean, again, coming again from a, a fan slash talk show host perspective, I just haven't felt like these have been really good teams. I don't feel like the market is real, uh, finds the product compelling. That's the big part for me. Yeah, and you would be better. I mean, you probably would be better to address this than me, but I just get a distinct sense that this team, and the only way I've come up to describe it is that it captures the imagination of the fan base. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the... The 15 team was really good. It won 100 games. It won a division where another team won 98 and another team won 97. Um, And yet, was that team all that celebrated? No. It didn't feel that way. So then I go back and I I analyze it and I wonder about this because I apply theories that might not be proper to... I remember sitting in the press box of Rams games when they were, you know, I mean cocaine on turf i mean that's as good as it can get for for a football product i have no idea what that's like (laughs) i'm not saying i do either i'm just saying it was an incredible high and we we as st louis football fans had gone from having nothing Mm -hmm. for to all of a sudden the greatest and then i I remember thinking to myself thinking long term whenever this wears off what's it going to be like when you don't have kurt warner marshall falk isaac bruce tory holt azakim and a damn good defense to boot you're going to go from this, and then even if you have a competitive team, it's going to seem like it's terrible yeah. in relation. The other analogy I would draw is the Atlanta Braves. They had nothing, really, from 1982 all the way to 1991, and then they just had this absurd run that went on, really, for a couple of decades. But then even in, while they were winning division championships, they weren't winning World Series in the 2000s. Part of that, the Cardinals got them in, in 2000, and they had a bunch of empty seats. 
Uh, I remember being at the uh, NLDS in 2000 when the Cardinals clinched it there, and it was just empty seats everywhere. It was Game yeah. 3 of an NLDS. And, and the theory there was, first off, transient city, different than St. Louis, but then secondarily that the fan base had gotten spoiled. Mm-hmm. And I remember... Uh, our, Apathy set in. Yes, and I remember our cohort, uh, the late, great Joe Strauss, saying, I'll be really intrigued to see what happens in this market, in this region, with this fan base, if and when the run starts to slow down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, perhaps that is what has happened, because I agree with you. Now, in 2015, I remember going to that postseason thinking, they won 100 games, but if I'm going to compare them to the 05 team, which won, did they win 100 on the nose, and the 04 team, which won 105? That's right. And then the 1985 team, which was a 100-win team, for my money, that 15 team, I, I don't put them in those in that category. But they may have been as good as any of them because, because that was one of the best run prevention. But it wasn't... See, that's that's part of it, maybe, is that was one of the best run prevention teams of our generation. And then along the next year came the Cubs, who were just as good as run prevention. However, run prevention is not sexy. Right. You know, uh, one of the executives with another team told me here recently, he goes, you have to look at it from this perspective, is the ability to save a run is worth the exact same as the ability to score a run mathematically, mm-hmm. right? However, try telling that to fans because right. you can't win a game minus one to zero. Right, right. Right? right. I mean, you know, do you want to see runs scored? you want to see a, a player who is energized? you want a moment to sit on the edge of your seat and go, yeah, man, this is the team that is going to do it? And maybe that's what's mi- – now you can't create that, but look, the Cubs have that. Anthony Rizzo comes to the plate and, you know, nuzzles up to the home plate and does whatever he does there and – um, you know, people are on the edge of their seat. They're there. He's he's on the edge of home plate. They're on the edge of his seat. You know, Chris Bryant comes right. up. He's on the edge of you know. He puts people on the edge of his seat. Even Javi Baez in the middle of the infield can create some electricity. Um, so, do the Cardinals have that? I mean, they 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 haven't for a while, really. Right. For a while, too. Yeah. So I would go back before even a year where they won 100 games. It's a weird spot. Now, I could be wrong. This is this is not a data-driven opinion. This is just a feel for it. And then you combine that, and I think it is a feeling that's shared by a lot of people in the fan base, which doesn't necessarily make it right. You can have something that a lot of people think is true and polling properly, but not necessarily be factual. But in this case, I believe that feeling is there. And then you have two straight trade deadlines where you are lurking in races, mm-hmm. not because of like 04, where it's like, my God, we're great. Let's add to it with Larry Walker. It was, mm-hmm. oh, well, we're in the mix. And they didn't really do anything. And so there may be a feeling. A lot of the fan base isn't happy with Mike Matheny. A lot of the fan base isn't compelled by the product. And then feels like we're showing up to the tune of three plus million and we're not seeing the organization go out and try and bolster our chances at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you have those combination of elements, I think it leads to a frustrated fan base. I agree. And I, I would, I mean, I'm glad you articulated it that way. And because of that, I, I kind of get this sense that, and it, and it, and it sings out, it resonates with the criticisms that I get. And also what I see is that there is a sense that the team is busy making business decisions and not busy making baseball decisions. And that can turn a fan base that is used to baseball and winning baseball and wanting baseball, that can 
turn a, a fan base against them mm-hmm. if they're not very articulate in why they're making these baseball decisions. I think a lot of times, and maybe this happened in the press conference, and maybe even happens in the coverage of the team when I write, when I try to explain, like, look, they're trying to make these value-based deals. Eyes glaze over and go, come on, just get us some home runs. The eyes glaze over and go, enough about the margins and you know years of control. Just bring in a guy who, who sends shivers down our spine when he hits the ball. Um, and I get that, and, and I understand that, um, that maybe that's the magic isn't there because the magic isn't in the transactions. Yeah. The, ma- the Everything is so calculated that there's no time for magic. See, because I, you think about it, Albert Pujols was magic. Right. All right? That, that was magic, not just with his production, but how he arrived. That was a scratch off to a luck. 13th <laughs> round, you know, guy who really just, you know, had crazy ability, but also a fierce competitive aspect. Oh, and by the way, had a lot of things pour into him just at the right time. The anger of being passed over so many rounds, which, mind you, the Cardinals did 12 times too. So, you know, they can claim, oh, well, we took him. Yeah, well, <laughs> passed over him 12 times. So um, the fact that Mark McGuire was there, the fact that you had Tony La Russa who bought into it, and just all these things that kind of gelled at the right time. Oh, and he already had the infrastructure of, of Roland and an Edmonds there right. for him not to have to be like the guy. So that was magic and Carlos Beltran came as a free agent but brought a little magic with him um David Freeze was magic right oh I mean my that, God. Yeah. that's as magical a storyline as you get and it was hindsight magic but it was magic um you know so I I get the sense that when fans go all right we get it we understand the spreadsheets we understand why this is important you know I we see why it's necessary for the team to not act like the Yankees of old. We get it. We understand why the Cubs will probably have a higher payroll for a long time. And don't discount the fact that it's the Cubs that are winning that plays into this. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of this. But just once, just give magic. Just bring back a little magic. So that's so the thing is, what, what I feel like has become, it's, it's been there for a while. It went away with a couple of world championships and then four straight NLCS appearances. I remember those. Yeah, I remember those a few years ago. Uh, is, is, is the DeWallet thing or Bill DeWitt's cheap. Or the, yeah. and, I just, and I feel like, and I'm really curious where you are on this, I feel like it's just, it's inaccurate. It's, 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 well, it's just inaccurate because the most prized free agent, unless I'm missing somebody perhaps on the pitching side, going into the 2016-17 offseason was Dexter Fowler, which kind of confused me. Uh, uh, Justin Turner. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but you would concede that Fowler was certainly... Vaulted? Yes. Um, and they went out and got him, is, is my point. And they spent yeah. a lot of money to get him. And I felt like, you know, they, that was an overreaction to not getting who they wanted. And, a, and, and for the first time in a long time, and I actually would take it back to before you were on the beat and when you were on the Blues beat... Uh, but I was down at Bush Stadium all the time. Granted, as a TV guy, I felt like the, the Tino Martinez signing was an overreaction yeah, to that's fair. McGuire retiring yeah. by fax and Martinez having a hell of an October with the Yankees a month beforehand, and we're just going to fix it really quickly. Now, granted, at the time, it was only a three-year deal. They wound up shipping him out for a, like an underhanded pitcher, Evan Rust, I think, yeah. from the Tampa Bay Rays and eating most of the contract. 
And fortunately, that really wasn't an albatross because they only had to eat, what, one of the years. I think it was like 7 million compared R- to the right. leak. Some of these things yeah. that you, you wind up seeing. But I, I feel like one of the reasons they've been able to maintain being at least competitive for this entire run, and I would include 07 and 08, granted, on the periphery, uh, and uh, 16 and 17, is because they haven't done these albatross-style deals. Granted, the economics are different now than mm-hmm. when the era we're talking about. But I feel like if you just are in the mood of you just got to do something, I thought Fowler fell into the category of just do something. Now, granted, I realized they needed a center fielder. That was the goal. They got a center fielder. They needed a leadoff guy. They got the lead. But now here we are just a year into the deal going, oh, God, A, how happy is he here? B, how happy are we that we got him? And C, is he even a center fielder or a leadoff guy anymore? Hell, that's C and D. And you have all these questions and you haven't even signed him for a year. Yeah. I mean, he's a pretty good deal if he's going to hit 20 home runs and play left field. That's not a bad deal. I mean, if you think about it in those terms, like they, they, the Cardinals may have happened into a value proposition from their perspective if he's going to bat third or four. But that's the, I guess the, that, that, so that takes me back to the, the overall, and I guess I can yeah. go from a macro standpoint going back seven years here. There have been a lot of happen to right. that have helped. They happen to lose out on Albert Pujols, thank God. Mm-hmm. They happen to lose out on take your pick on Hayward Price. Hayward Price. You know, I don't know if people would say it's a good thing they didn't get Price, but certainly I think people would say it on Hayward. Yeah. Uh, And they may have happened to wind up with a left fielder who hits 20 home runs and could be in the middle of the order, except the goal was to be the leadoff and and center fielder. And so then it makes you go, well, where are things right now? Well, let's, uh, let's apply that to another team we know really well, though, right? Okay, the Cubs happened to get lucky that Mark Appel was the 1-1 pick when the entire universe said, why aren't they taking Chris Bryant? Chris Bryant is a rarity in this game, an MVP caliber everyday player who can play the position third base that he's still playing. And he went second in the draft because Luno and his group outsmarted everybody, you know, because they were the only ones that were like, uh, no, we'll take Mark Appel. So that guy, where's he? Where's he right now? I where, mean, where is he right yeah, now? he's in the minors with what Phillies, right? Um, so you know he, they traded him. Um, so the Cubs happened to get the best player in the draft with the second pick of the draft. Um, you know the uh, the Cubs traded a guy named Scott Feldman. Do you remember him? Oh yeah, right. Okay. The they saw they gave up the uh, base hit to Lance Berkman in the uh, tenth inning. That's right. Okay, so they traded him to the Orioles, who were scrambling for pitching depth. Um, and the Orioles had this pitcher who they just they couldn't figure out. His mechanics were weird. He was um, from Farmington. He, yeah, he was really <laughs> resistant um, to to change. Um, had really good stuff, but was wild all the time. Something that they traced back to his mechanics, which again he was resistant to change. When he did, it didn't work. Um, yeah, sure, put him in the deal. Give him to the uh, Cubs. That's Jake Arrieta. That deal doesn't happen. These Cubs don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so they happened into Jake Arietta. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they they won. I, I saw a number the other day. Um, you know, you know how many homegrown pitchers the Cubs had on their World Series roster last year? I'm gonna throw out one. It was zero. But here's the better number. They won what a hundred and ten games. Or something along those lines, right? What they needed? Oh no, no, they would have won more than that. But they, say they won a hundred, yeah, ten, hundred, whatever. Only one win all season long was attributed to a homegrown pitcher. 
Only one of more than 100 wins went to a homegrown pitcher. So they have, by design, decided, well, we are really strong on the um, position player side. We're going to have to buy pitching. But part of that is they're going to have to happen into guys. Mm -hmm. There were stories out of spring training about how they had four guys that they were going to throw at one of their problems, and they thought that maybe with this pitching coordinator stuff that we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. and maybe their catchers and maybe their offense and maybe all this and that and the point in their careers, they can make those guys work into a starters of the four that they tried to find, you know how many made their starters or made a difference in their rotation? Really none. Uh, Mike Montgomery is comes as close as anybody. And so they didn't happen into the starter that they needed. And what happened? There was a race. If they had happened into this guy, there would have never been a race all year. The Cubs would have blown apart, blown away from the field. So, I mean, I get what you're saying where the Cardinals happened into these guys, you know, Tommy Pham or whatever. But teams well, everywhere are doing it. The Brewers were an entire season of happening into things quicker than they expected. Well, I guess what I'm, I'm more in the, the Cardinals are fortunate that they happen to not do some things that they wanted to do. Right. And that that's that's, that's the line I'm taking. Yeah. Because where would they be if they did wind up signing pools? Where would they be if they did sign price? If they did sign Hayward, a lot of these things that the fan base some, not many. I don't. I don't know what the percent. What do you think the percentage was in, two, in the 2011 offseason on wanting to sign pools of the fan base? Oh, that's a guy. I, I don't. Um, I was vehemently against it in 2013 to sign him. Yeah, really. Probably. Wow. I, I think there 50, was a lo- 50, I don't know. I think there was a lot of legacy talk, and I think legacy does move the needle. Yeah. Um, I think we saw that with Yadier. That if it's going to be uh, five million extra a year, the legacy is worth it, and. Um, you know, they, there was a sense that the Cardinals were coming off. Of, there was a f- fever dream of a great World Series, oh, and keeping yeah. that team together. And, you know, Tony had already wa- walked out the door and his legacy was complete. Let let Albert leave when there's a statue outside to greet him. Yeah. Let, let's make that happen yeah. so that the day he leaves and plays his last game in baseball, he walks out the door and drives by a statue that's already in place. Yeah. I think that 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 did motivate or move a lot of people. So, and, I, and I think that actually was on Bill DeWitt's mind. Too. Yes, I do as well. I, I would agree with that. I'm sure you have uh, more knowledge than I do on it, but I think we probably have a similar uh, basis for our opinion on it. But along those lines, in the past, recent past, the reason why they were able to do what they did uh, from 2000 through 2006 with that era of team was that players either came here or they wanted to come here right. and then stayed. Yeah. For the first time in a while, we're hearing or knowing, depending on your perspective, of players who either don't want to be here or didn't want to come here or chose another organization over yep. the Cardinals. What do you think the reason is for that, and how much will that factor into what the Cardinals try to do this off season? I think there are myriad reasons for that. I think... Um, I think one direction. I, I'll, I'll give you some reasons, and then, I, then I'll suggest a direction that we also go with this because I think I think we're circling the drain of one issue. If you may, if that may, we're like we got it corralled, and we're gonna we're gonna catch the issue that really we need to wrestle the ground that defines where the Cardinals are right now. But first, on the periphery, that's that's a very podcasty and VR like type tease. I like okay. this. I so like first this. on the periphery, I like this a lot. I think that. Um, I think the Cardinals are not the most appealing team in their own division, which for a long time they were. I think the Cardinals used their history and their pocketbook 
to sway guys into taking less because of the known quantity of contending and competing and short trips and being in the Midwest and family and all that stuff. And all of that does not necessarily appeal to the new generation, which... When you say short trips, you're talking about like not being in Seattle and having right. to fly to Miami. Yeah, that's right. Not being in San Francisco and right. having all the red eye. Um, these things, you know, they had a very modern clubhouse, something that the Cubs didn't have. You think back to when Prince Fielder was a free agent. And um, I had this little pet theory that, and some of it bared out that, um, that free agents within the division had very little interest in going to the Cubs because they had played at Wrigley. They knew what the facilities were like. They knew what day games were like. Hmm. Um, they had been through that so often because they'd been in the division that they, that that was a knock against Wrigley. And it was, um, you know, the clubhouse was terrible oh, there. Yeah. Well, now it's not, now that's the destination place. I mean, even, even Hayward said it. I mean, and, and actually several people within the Cardinals organization said it, look, it's there. They can, they, the Cubs could offer something the Cardinals never could, and that was appealing to a group of players. You know, the Cardinals couldn't say, hey, come win a championship for the first time in 100 years. The Cardinals could say, hey, come win another championship, um, which is a different sales yeah, pitch. Yeah. And the, they're players who are more appealing uh, or found the Cubs more appealing. Um, I think, you know, the other parts of this um, are managers. We see very different managers in the league. Um, enough to fit the different personalities of teams, or I'm sorry, of players. Um, some players are going to want a really business-like manager, um, a very players-first manager. Some players want to go, and if they're going to spend 162 days or you know more than that with spring training, uh, eight months with a guy, they're going to want you know a pal. You know, some want somebody closer in age to them. Some want the the reputation that a guy has. Um, some people want a city that swirls around them with opportunity and not with protests. You know, I mean, just to be blunt. And you think that factors in? I think it does factor. And I think players have a lot of questions. I mean, I've been asked by players, what is it like there? You know, both good and bad. You know, they, they've asked me, like, well, what is it like? Like, can I go and take uh, uh, my family to breakfast or lunch what will that be like and i'm like you know what the, the fans here are going to be really respectful he goes oh i won't have people tweeting that i'm here or taking photos there or but i'm like actually no in in my history um and my understanding with players they're actually they keep their distance and that can be appealing okay well what's the safety like around the ballpark all right well let's have a discussion about that because you know there has been a shooting outside the ballpark there has been um, you know, questions about security around the ballpark. You cannot ignore that. And it depends on what they latch on to as to what they care about. And that brings us to the crux of what has changed in the last few years when it comes to both acquiring talent, both happening into talent, and both pitching the Cardinals. Every team in baseball now has such revenue that you're pretty much talking about being able to afford players. Yeah. The question yeah. is always the out years. How much are you willing to stomach when that player is older and less productive? That becomes the question. Um, every team now overvalues their prospects, meaning that they know exactly what to, to hold on to as far as control. They lock them up to deals. They commit to them. Um, every team now is unearthing diamonds in the roughs late in drafts or 
off the independent heap or, you know, that another team let through slip through the waivers. Um, every team is doing that. And now they're doing it at a younger place. And an example of that would be Luis Perdomo, who the Cardinals left unprotected um, in the Rule 5 draft. And the Padres went, you know what? We're not trying to win this year. We got a spot on the roster. We think he might be something. We think he might be a starter for us. And lo and behold, Luis Perdomo would have helped the Cardinals this year as a starter. Luis Perdomo would certainly help the Cardinals next year Mm -hmm. as a starter. Luis Perdomo is the type of move the Cardinals used to make while other teams watched and wondered and said, how do they identify that? And that's a long way of saying that the game has caught up to the Cardinals. I've heard that so many times from so many different levels of other organizations that they saw the Cardinals were far ahead in developing pitching, identifying pitching, and holding on to their young talent, and also that they were really good at winning deals. You look at what they when they traded Edmonds and what they got back for Edmonds. You look at when they then flipped Freeze, who came in the Edmonds deal, and what they got back for Freeze and Fernando Salas, who they were going to non-tender. The Angels could have had him for nothing, mm-hmm. right? You look at those deals— and that's only just a few years ago. And teams go, what are they? How are they able to pull this off? The game caught up with the Cardinals, and some is that of the, the Cardinals teams, being no. not on the forefront of the cutting edge, or is well, that that's what most economics? said. Most well, it's big economics has allowed for that. Um, um, hedge fund management of teams has allowed for that. You see a lot more GMs funneling in to um, into the game in the last four years that watched the how the Cardinals built their dynasty, learned from it from afar, and then bring this business application to it. I mean, look, I mean, there's a reason why when um, Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer took over the Cubs, they said, we want to create what the Cardinals have because they had it. They had the blueprint. They they may even have a subscription to the Post-Dispatch. Who knows? <laughs> but they, they certainly knew about what the Cardinals were doing, could see it from afar and could read you know, the, the stories I did about what they were, how they were finding pitchers and using pitchers and even right down to how they were identifying pitchers like a Seth Manus, a double A for a role that he would have and excel in, in the majors, you know, things like that. Um, I had a few years ago, I did a story about, you know, how they found these pitchers and, you know, you always talk to scouts and I talked to other GMs and everything like that. And this had never happened before. Because a lot of times scouts will be like, hey, man, you know, I don't want my name on it and everything like that. I was talking to a scout about what he sees because he goes through all the minor leagues of the Cardinals and everything like that. And he says, you know what? Put my name on it. Put my name on it because I want the Cardinals to know that I know what they're doing. And, And I want my team to know that this is what we should be doing. How about that? Put my name on it, he said. I mean, it wasn't anything like, you know, it wasn't anything controversial. It was just him describing what he had seen the Cardinals do with pitchers. And, you know, just a few It was kind of a secret sauce for a period of time. I guess. I mean, yeah, I guess it was. Um, There's still some of it that is secret sauce. But, you know, I mean, I, I I was talking with somebody just a few weeks ago, and he was saying, you know, he goes, you can see what the, what the Cardinals did for so long. He goes, and now you see it in pieces everywhere. And he used that phrase, the game caught up with them. So if the game has caught up with the Cardinals, both the game and the business of the game. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah no, and I, and, I, and I follow it, and it's a fascinating detail that I, I think a lot of people will be listening to and go, wow, I've, I've never heard it put that way. Uh 
if the playing field is level, if the Cardinals don't have these advantages that they used to have to be able to get the players that they got here and then wound up signing to long-term deals to lay these foundations for these runs, the way that John Mazalak, Michael Gersh, and Mike Matheny spoke at the press conference to wrap up the 2017 season was one of almost certainty that they are going to go out and acquire a big bat. Yeah. Hell, it even got to the point that someone asked him about, well, do you need two? And he said, sure, two would be great, but let's just start with, yeah. with one. And then I look at the landscape, and sure, there are names that we throw out in our sports talk radio fantasy lands, but when it actually comes to the pragmatic application of getting a deal done, whether it be a, a trade or I don't even know what the free agent situation would be realistically, and uh, how are they going to be able to truly do that? And if so, who... Who really, really would fit that description? Well, there are myriad um, to varying degrees. I mean, it depends on how um, how broad, to use their world, a bandwidth you want to go with. Like, uh, like you could see, all right, Donaldson is a fit for a year, and then you wade into the very deep pool of free agents that um, that is ahead. However. That means two risks, right? Um, one, or three, actually. One, that Donaldson produces like a gangbuster in the one year that you have him. Um, two, that you can get him at a rate that doesn't really limit your prospects for the out years. Because three, you can't guarantee that you're going to sign one of the big guys. Um, if anything, um, the Cardinals are maybe learning that uh, going out and getting a guy who's under contract or under control might be their better way because their ability to woo free agents is lessened mm -hmm. than it was before. Mm -hmm. Their ability to get a guy and keep a guy um, is maybe lessened than it was before. So, you know, they want to keep that in mind. Um, so that's one way that basically kicks the can down a year to a bigger discussion. Now, Donaldson may go gangbusters, may love it here and stay. Um, you know, that's entirely possible. But so, too, is the reality that you need to brace for something else to happen and that you're taking a risk that it will. So then you look at a trade because of the guys who are under contract or you look at an Upton or a Martinez who are free agents and can they you lure had, them they, here. Regarding Upton, because I, now I see him kind of getting thrown around, perhaps their opinion on Upton changed like other opinions on players, uh, mm -hmm. you know, evolved, if you want to call it that. Uh, but... A couple of years ago, when Upton was a free agent, you know, there there wasn't a whole lot of interest. They had in the cursory in, in interest. Um, part of that was the cost and the, uh, you know, they, they thought that, he, you know, he <laughs> oddly, that he was being paid more for his age than for his production, um, which in the end is what Hayward um, ran into as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, was, there was cursory interest in, um, in Upton. Some of that, too, remember, was... Could they pull off a trade um, and then sort of get a guy of their preference as opposed to whatever the free right. agency offered? Right. Their view on that's going to change, too, because of what you began this conversation with is urgency. Urgency um, changes all sorts of things. You know, Zach Duke goes and has Tommy John and all of a sudden Brett Cecil's a cardinal. I mean, these are not unrelated events. Effect, of course. Yeah. So, so uh, you mentioned Donaldson. You mentioned 
Well, then you have the free agents. The free agents. And that's where the outfielders from the Marlins come in. And then the the wild cards out there, like, uh, hey, what's Pittsburgh going to do? Um, is McCutcheon all that appealing? What's the What are the Padres going to do? Is Will Myers all that appealing? Um, the free agents from Kansas City, Mike Moustakis and Eric Hosmer, where do they fit? And do they add more confusion to the roster than they solve um, with the positions that they play? Uh, you know, all these things kind of bake in there, and, and you just always come back to the three outfielders in Miami. And that tipping point, all that everybody wants is, well, what direction does Jeter and the group go? You know, Jeter moves into his office, and now they're in a spot where they own the team that has a $300 million promise um, or, you know, whatever is left on that deal. And, they they are on the hook for it. Uh, so, what direction do they want to go to either rebuild, rethink that team, or um, divest themselves of some of their financial commitments so they can start getting a return on their purchase? Um, all those things are in play. And if you had, you know, if you go back and maybe put like some blinders on to some of the uh, the comments made during the press conference and, and listen to the type of hitter that they're talking about and where that hitter comes from. It is entirely from a team that has one and wants to pivot in a very different direction. Um, so that's where you have to start. Um, and then the next level would be, and this is the harder level. It's, it's, it's harder for teams. It's even harder for reporters to get is who has redundancy that, you know, a young player coming and an older player at the position that they might want to replace, and can you swing a deal for that player? Mm-hmm. So, who has an abundance of outfielders? Um, you know where they want to bump aside an older outfielder who has a, a third baseman, for example, or maybe there's a younger player, cheaper player coming up um, just in the third year or fourth year of a contract with an older player, just as he's about to make a lot of money. You know, could they move them aside? Yeah, that's a harder one to pull off. What Christian Yelich is uh, going to be twenty six at the start of the yeah, he's kind of good eighteen season, a very good ball player. Um, the Stanton thing is the one that, of course, is, and I don't want to, sure. I don't want to, I don't want to, because I think by calling it a bright shiny object, it kind of pisses on it, which is not my intention to do so, because I do believe that there you can are, call him the Orion. How about oh, that? That is nice. You're having a big day with the words, some of which I understand, some of which I don't, but I do on that one, and I love it. The yeah. Orion yeah. operation. Call him the Orion. Is John Carlos Stanton. On that one, I remember asking you that throughout the course of the season, and you just kind of go, yeah, it's just it's just not happening. And there's so yeah. many reasons why it's not happening. That was in June, July. Is that where you are still regarding Stanton? So... A lot of. Uh, do you want a yes or no answer? Or I, can I, I, okay. I, I I enjoy expounding. That's, okay. what, that's the beauty of the podcast is. Okay, we I wanted expound. to be sure before I expounded. <laughs> so I think a lot of you know people have said, "Well, you've softened on your stance," and it's like, no, I I haven't. Um, well, some factors have changed. Yeah, months have gone by, and I think a lot of what I told you and what I said on the radio and what I, you know, probably ticked Frank Cusamano off about on his radio show because it's like, look, man, I, I don't know how many times to tell you. It's not, I think a lot of that bared out. I mean, he passed through waivers. Giancarlo Stanton was available to all 29 teams 
All he had to do was take on his contract. Now, I mean, we don't know if the Marlins would say, oh, yeah, he'll take him, yeah. or if they would have pulled him back. But he passed through, so no one even made a claim. There was no general manager who raised his hand and said, if you give him to me for no prospects, I will take that player and his contract. That, to me, is a referendum on, A, what the business thinks of that contract and, and the, the player's out-year values, and, two, how confusing that contract is for the next team and how difficult that is to pull off, right? And that was the sole discussion. That was, that was my entire argument. Is it, It's so difficult for a team to go, all right, the Marlins want a lot of prospects for this guy because he has insane amount of talent and would be a feared batter in the lineup. However, you don't know if you're giving up those prospects for three years. You don't know if you're giving up those prospects for $300 million commitment. Um, you don't know if his health will last into mid-30s. You don't know what position he'll play in the final years of that contract when he's making 30 plus million and could be what one sixth of your payroll mm-hmm. at that point in time. You, you don't know all these things and you're asked to then fork over a bunch of talent for that player that, you know, when you see deals that are made that include a lot of talent, it's because the, team getting the player is getting a below market value for many years. Adam Eaton, Quintana, these are the examples, yeah. right? You know, there were no questions about what that team was going to have to pay or what that team was getting. The Cubs could make that deal and know we are getting a starting pitcher at below market value who's left-handed until 2020. Yeah. Now, one of those years he might miss because of cert- because of injury. That's how pitching works. However, we know what we're getting. With Stanton, it's less so, right? You know what you're getting next year. You know what you're getting the year after that. But for the bulk of the contract, you don't know if he'll opt out or if you have to pay him. And if you have to pay him, then what do what do you uh where's he playing? What do you count from him? Mm-hmm. Um, so now one way to look at the deal, and this is where things have changed because there's been time and because the entire the entirety of baseball told the Marlins what they think of that contract. That ought to be a lesson to the Marlins. Okay, people think that this contract is not good for this guy. So to make a deal where we get any sort of talent, that team is going to want the Marlins to share in the financial risk of that deal. That's where it comes from. So you have to find that number because you, the Marlins signed him to that deal. So the team that gets him is going to say, look, we will trade this much talent for what we think he's worth. And you have to cover the rest of that money. So a team like the Cardinals will say, well, we think we're going to get $220 million worth of production from him over the next seven years. We understand that the deal is eight, nine, whatever. All right. All right, but we think we're going to get $220 million of production that we can put a price tag on, right, from this guy. We'll trade you to that amount for him if you give us the money for the rest. And that's how those kind of deals are described. And that's a very oversimplification. 
but that's how you have to think about it. And I, and I, that's the complication of this. And that's really where I've always tried to explain it, you know, is look, if somebody were to take him, just raise their hand and take on his contract, then I was wrong, you know, then. All right. And so, and the Marlins were right, but that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And baseball now has sent a message to the Marlins. If you want talent for him, you're going to have to share in the financial risk of it. Now that, Jeter is, and, and we saw the picture of him sitting at the desk in Miami now. With like a garage door open. Yeah, he's still evaluating I think what that was. I think that's for the stadium roof. Is that what it is? That, that's what controls the yeah. stadium roof there in Miami. I think he clicks Miami. twice to open, now it all makes once sense. to close. <laughs> but now that he's there, and now that baseball knows who's in charge in Miami, uh, which was different than five months ago, yeah. do you think he's a Marlin when, when we're all sitting there in Jupiter, Florida with the, the Marlins and the Cardinals sharing campsites? I think I think it's a given that one of those outfielders is not. I don't know which one. I'm not sure. I'm which not one sure do you think intrigues know. the Cardinals the most? Oh, well, are we all things considered or are they dreaming? Uh, no, I'm 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 in the all things considered. What's, then it's re- what's realistic? I mean, you're talking about a guy who's under control. Basically, the best way I can do it, and and it just happened upon this kind of description earlier, is he's the Quintana of outfielders. Mm. So you go, the Cubs go. Well, we have a pitching hole. Right. We can't develop pitching. We need to get somebody else's pitcher, and we need to get him who's on a team friendly deal and a rising talent who's only going to get better. Let's get Quintana. And let's give up a lot to get him. Let's go get that guy. Um, so the Quintana of outfield, because the Cardinals are in a spot where we can't develop this hitter that we need. We're never going to get a chance to draft a guy like that. And we'd love for him to be under control for a long time. So we don't have to try to woo him and deal with free agency and hope that he likes the Cardinals and all this stuff. We just want control. Yeah. That's Yelich. So Yelich is the Quintana of hitting. All the focus, of course, on hitting, but... They also touched on the fact that, hey, got to do something about the ninth inning. Yeah. What do you think they're going to try to do there? Throw arms at the problem. Yeah. And they got their eye on a closer from Japan, um, you know, kind of an O-like guy. Um, so do other teams. So it'll be a process. But the Cardinals know him well. Um, they actually have a connection to him um, that may help them. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see how that plays out. He's a free agent. He doesn't. He doesn't take a posting fee doesn't take um doesn't hit on their cap so they're not limited in what they can sign him he's just free and clear like oh was so you know they'll they'll look at him um they'll look at the abundance of relievers that are out there i mean look man there are some really good relievers who are free agents that if you wanted to i mean it'll it'll be costly but it wouldn't be unreasonable to go all right Go sign four of them and see who emerges as the closer. <laughs> you know, go get Swarzak, that guy who just blistered them. You know, the former White Sox pitcher mm. was up in Milwaukee, and I know he just kind of cost, he just blew the game here in Bush that cost the Brewers their chance. But that guy was fearsome when he was, um, when he, I mean, when he had just come aboard in Milwaukee and got overused and taxed, and that happens to guys. Um, that guy. And find a way to to look at him. Um, you know, Smith, um, the uh, reliever with Cleveland, who was in Toronto, right? Yeah, Toronto. Um, you know, he's going to be a free agent. Tony Watson, who you've seen a lot yeah. of um, with the Pirates, he's going to be a free agent. Uh, Greg Holland and Wade Davis are also going to be free agents. Um, Greg Holland, here's the lesson. Um, 
here, Greg Holland, you know, had surgery, uh, but signed a deal where he got, um, you know, got this year and got paid um, based on what he performed. But he also had an option for next year. That option was $10 million team option unless he finished 30 games. If he finished 30 games, then it became a $15 million player option. All right. He finished 30 games like what? By like July? Yeah, he because he was terror. healthy yeah. and power and he proved it and everything like that. So now he gets to go, all right, well, I'll take 15 million. No, I don't think so. And the Rockies have to go, okay, well, will you take 18.1 million for a qualifying offer? And he can go, no, I don't think so. And he'll be like, you know, bathing in riches as a closer. Oh you know, so what a deal for him. That's, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's great. That, that is a very s- slick way to come back from an injury um, when you know, like, all right, I got a chance to prove myself. He goes out on the field and does it and then has protections within his contract that he can cash in. Um, that's that's pretty smart. Do you think Wade Davis is in any way in play for the Cardinals? I think the Cardinals have with um, have had, like, a gluten allergy to paying market price for closers. They, they haven't done it since Izzy. Yeah. You know that was the last That's time. That's what I was thinking of as you were yeah. saying it. I mean, it how many years ago? Dave Veers era. Yeah, we were. You know, you and I were in our twenties. That's right. The last time. That's right. You know, I was still taking the Propecia at the time. Were you? Yeah, I was. And then, I, and then I shut it down, and now it's a whole mess. It's an absolute whole thing. Really? Yeah. I didn't know. No, no, that's that's the next podcast when you come in. We'll talk about Propecia use. How young did you start that? (laughs) Uh, My first live shot at KOMU, January of 1998. The night I got my Propecia prescription was my first live shot at KOMU. So it was TV driven. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm super insecure, but it was TV driven. No, no, I had no That's, I mean, that's a whole element. Like, here, we both went to the Mizzou J school. That's right? right. So did you, because you were on the TV side um, at the same time as yeah, my which wife. which of course is a much, it. much higher level, of course, is the oh, television Oh, absolutely. Side. No, no, no. We saw I mean, the, that's the beacon of journalism. No, I mean, when Rolling Stone, when we were students and Rolling Stone descended on us to do a story about the state of journalism and teaching, right? I mean, they went to the TV absolutely. side. Absolutely. Yeah, they didn't hang hey, up with the ass hat doing sports on the weekend? We want to talk to him. They didn't do any of the, uh, the scruffy <laughs> hangout at the Missourian. <laughs> they, I don't remember them biking along with me to do my agate shift i don't remember that um but uh but no I, honest question did they the was part of the schooling there how you looked on it, camera well, it, it probably shouldn't have been but there was a teacher there i've said this on the radio so i'm not speaking out of school uh there was a teacher there and i always thought it was good it probably wouldn't go down now when there was a woman who was a little heavy yeah he would tell her she needs to lose weight, not because we're you know. Would you do the same be, for men though. Like was the would they I just remember the story like, hey, about man, telling the woman you that. need to. But on the hair thing, I just knew it. I just okay. knew the program. And when I did get a job in New York in 2007, uh, Kurt Gowdy Jr., the son of the Hall of Fame broadcaster, who hired me, yeah. and he told my agent, he said, "Oh, can you have him grow out his hair?" As if this is like a choice, yeah. You know, and I and I'm like, yeah, this is this this is this is kind of what we got. I can grow it out. I might be growing it out right now. Nothing is coming out. This wow. is where we are. That's fascinating. But I stopped taking the Propecia in 2006, and now it's a whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I, one of the things, I go back to Mizzou to talk to them. And and you should um, tell them, make sure you're taking your Propecia. That's no, what you tell the kids. No, I will. Yeah. No, but I don't talk to the TV folks, I don't think. <laughs> um, I tend to talk to whatever their convergence or the print folks. But, but I do kind of think, like, all right, 
one of the things I can do, and actually I recently spoke to like a class at Pepperdine, and it, one of the things they wanted me to talk about was the hours. That's uh, a good thing to tell people. You know, and and I, and it's so rewarding. Because you're never really off. Right, and, and not anymore. And it was really one of the, one of the, there are two things that ha- have been, two conversations I've had that have been really rewarding with students that I think, man, if somebody had come to my class, this would have, not just would have helped me, it would have given me such a head start on preparing for things. Um, you know, but I had to learn it from being around other reporters and stuff, but it would have been great to know this at twenty twenty one. And I was in the class and one of the, one of the students in the back raised her hand and said, can I have your job and a family? Poignant. Yeah. Powerful. It was really powerful. And, and she's like, I, I really want this job. This means a lot to me. Um, I'm not sure I want to cover baseball, but I want to, I want to do this job and I want to do what you're doing and I want to cover sports. Can I do that and have a family? And it was a great conversation. And then the other one was, um, was about sources and what is taught about how to use unnamed sources and anonymous sources and what is the reality Mm -hmm. of using unnamed sources. And, um, that one got heated. Um, but I, between you and the students, um, between, no, no, between me and the professor. Oh, really? Um, I mean, we're, we're, we're good. So, I mean, I mean, he did not in like, like, no, I'm just curious, but in like going back and back and back and forth. And, uh, you know, and, and, it was those two things. And I'm, I mean, that's, that's why I asked about that because I mean, if you, if on your side of the aisle there, J school, they took a moment to tell you about like the real world visual, um, you know, medium, which I'm learning, like, you know, uh, I'll uh, here for your podcast here. I think people know this though, but like I wear, when I do MLB network, I wear a headset, right? I'll either wear the Han Solo headset or the Janet Jackson headset. And I actually, (laughs) actually have, my own Janet Jackson headset is because I can't hold a mic um, in HD. You can't hold a mic in HD. A microphone in HD. And the reason is... Because I shake. And what's the... Like, just I have tremors. Is it the essential tremors, yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, So It doesn't know, affect you. It's not a... It's no, not a, it's I just, mean... It's just something that... It's just something that, like, if I'm not paying attention to stop, you know... Like, or doing something where it naturally stops. Sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So if I'm holding but a that, microphone... That makes, all, that makes all the sense So the before HD, no one ever noticed. Really? I didn't know that there was an HD difference. Oh, yeah. Huh. You can see the little... Because really? You, because, oh, because the, 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 yeah. the little logo goes back and yeah. forth like that? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So that's why I, I hold the... Or that's why I have the headset. I mean, it's not... It is, it is what it is, right? It's good inside baseball. But that would be... That would be so helpful. You know, Absolutely. I mean, I had people pull me aside and give me tips as to, hey, look, you know, back before the HD and the, the headset stuff was like, here, let's try to work through tips on to how to keep that thing still. You know, you use it, hold it with two hands. No, it made yeah. it worse. Yeah, you, you know? there's nothing you can and, do, right? I mean, it's just yeah. the way that it is. Oh, no, there were tricks that I, um, Danny, Dan McLaughlin gave me some great tricks. Really? Through the years. But HD has been my undoing. How about that? Well, the yeah. headset's fine. I, I didn't even notice, and I see you on MLB. Headset's fine. I don't mind it. Yeah. It makes me feel like I'm, you know, the co-pilot of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> sometime, sometime on that show, I'm going to say, don't get cocky, kid. You watch. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say Hey, it. tribute. 
Yeah, a great. No, it's going to be illusion. Yeah, I'm <laughs> well, going to say it. Well, the uh, I have no idea how we got on the topic of Propecia and your headset, but I'm no, glad we did. I was did. wondering about like the real world stuff. At, well, like, the real world stuff. At, at that's J what I always school. say. They need to tell, and I would be happy to go back down there when I interviewed uh, Coach Pinkle. Uh, I was down there. I was like, oh, maybe I'll stop by and see everybody at KOMU. And I feel like if I told them some things, it would probably chase them all out of the business. But the one thing they never told us about that they should have told us about was the revenue element, oh, like advertising yeah. revenue. Because I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm winning Emmys. I'm winning Merle Awards. I'm oh, going to make a bunch of money. They, well, yeah, well, it's 15 years ago, and obviously it's paid off huge. I have Look zero Emmys. <laughs> well, where, why would you have an Emmy? I don't know. <laughs> I have no... My wife has two. I have none. <laughs> I, my point is, when I went into KMOV for my contract being up, they're like, that's nice. You're 26 year old. You're working in your hometown and you're doing radio. We know you're not leaving. Here's your 3% raise. Take it or leave it. Oh. I'm like, well, I won the best sportscaster, Emmy Anna Murrow. 3% raise. Take it or leave it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is trouble. Mm-hmm. You know? But yeah. because it all gets back down to the advertising revenue and the bottom line, and I meant nothing to their bottom line. Right. And that's what I would tell the young tykes who are 19, 20, 21, 22 Absolutely. looking to get into this because that is unfortunately reality. No matter how good your show is, how good of an anchor you are, how good of a writer you are, whatever. Yeah. If you don't have dollars attached to it, uh, it doesn't matter. All right, I've already kept you longer than I planned to do, although I've enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, let me do a couple quick hits on this thing. Sure. The cat was saying this morning that he thinks that the Cardinals will sign a starter. Simple as yes. you do. You, you think so as well? I think they will probably find a, but it uh, won't be a depth guy. Lance Lynn. Probably not Lance Lynn. Uh, okay. Um, but it may be, I mean, it, it'll... Na- the starter could have name recognition. And um, the starter pool is not s- very strong, um, but it's deep. And they could pull off a Kyle Loesch, remember, when they oh, first yeah, got sure, Kyle Loesch absolutely. kind of thing, yeah. where he lingered out there, lingered out there, and they um, and they were able to get kind of the deal to get a guy who would give them 170, 180 innings. It's that type of thing. And as far it might as not be one-year deal, but a, that kind a, of thing. A closer goes, you don't think it's going to be in the Holland Davis category. It's going to be... As let's of see today, if we can... I think they're going to throw arms at the situation. And if you had to wager on who this magical bat is going to be, you would look to South Florida. If you're one that keeps coming up. You're not saying, I know it's going to be this or that. You're just saying there's three choices down there, and therefore the you're, math is in my favor. <laughs> that and... And the circumstances. And the circumstances and the Cardinals' interest and, um, you know, the what you what I've heard since what, before spring um, is Toronto-Miami. Toronto-Miami. Yeah. One of these teams is going to take a turn... And that bat that the Cardinals want, that they think is transformative, they can make a play on. It'll, they don't know because it takes two to tango. They aren't quite there yet. But one of those teams, they, they want to be on the doorstep for when that team makes its choice. And I didn't ask this of Gary Pinkle. Uh, I realize you're not running the football program, but I regret it and I'll always regret it. Uh, the Missouri football uniforms have confused me. They say it's for recruiting, even though they're not really recruiting anybody successfully in state. <laughs> so I, I, I'm starting to question that whole thing. But the red hats the Cardinals wear on the road, it has really become a cause yeah. for me and Doug. But it's the one thing that Doug Vaughn and I reach across the aisle and we agree on, the red mm-hmm. hats on the road. And you have said... When the Cardinals made that switch, they actually did a poll, and the poll favored the blue hats, but then it they did. still stuck with the red hats. And I know they wear the blue ones when they're playing a team that wears red that hats. That was the compromise. Right. Can Anything going on with that? I know because Bill DeWitt III actually does pay close attention he to does. the uniforms. And they're great outside of the red hats remind me of, like, 
the Greg Jeffries era, even though I don't think he was around. I think they were wearing blue hats by the time he got here. But that's what right. it makes me think of early 1990s Cardinal baseball. Yeah, he's going a little bit deeper into the past. And is wants but Musial wore a blue hat. He did for an entire season. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't a road hat. That was like the hat. The hat. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, his view is, um, you know, the red hats are what the... I, I mean, let's... let's I'm going to oversimplify it, but there's got to be an element to it. Look, they're playing the the Cubs, right? This rivalry has never been at – this is peak rivalry. Better right than now. Dusty Baker and Tony La Russa screaming at each other in 2003 so, with so, the great Jeff Facero on the mound. That's a You're great flashpoint, but this is peak <laughs> rivalry because this is real. Um, and I think there's an element there of when you play the Cubs – let them have the blue hats. Cardinals have the red hats. That's the team colors. That's what they're known for. I've never Just heard this it that theory way. before. That's my, is this a theory or is this that's is my got, little pet inside. theory? That's my little pet theory. That, I hate this theory because that means we're stuck with this. Well, well I think you're stuck with it. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure you're stuck with it. Considering the calisthenics they went into, or the calisthenics or contortions, the contortions they went into to uh, to just allow for the, the blue hats. But I, I, I think... I think they're, they, I know from talking to Bill DeWitt III that he wants to be, you know, aware and respectful of the history and true to the origins of the uniform, even when they introduce something new. And he wants that, you know, the history to be reflected in how they choose. See, they do not want to get to a point where they have 17 different oh, choices. Like with the Diamondbacks. Oh, yeah, like with the Diamondbacks. They don't want to get to that. So they want to come up with a tried and true rule. But they also wanted to have the red hats back on the road. That was something that he really said. He said, that's how it was. That's how it should be now. That's the, 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 the Cardinals wear red. I have heard that from him. Nah. Nah. All right. Fair enough. The, the, essentially, the first hour of this was just me wanting to get to uniform talk. I had to act like I had interest in all these other things so I could so I could get to, hey, what's going on with the hats? That's yeah. essentially what the whole podcast has been about, and now I got it. Yeah. Monster will put it as the lead. Uh, oh, is this going to be edited? We could. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. No, I, I think we're, we're putting this thing up right away. Like I said, Derek, this is an emergency. That's what we do, an emergency podcast. This is a pop-up podcast. I don't know if I'll ever get to a point where like something happens in a game and I go down to my basement and say, okay, we got to have an emergency Facebook Live. Maybe I will. Maybe. Mary Nickel does it with his WWE stuff, and I see he's killing it. So no, maybe I do need yeah. to follow that. He didn't even go no. to journalism school. All right. See, real-world <laughs> right. application. Exactly. Uh, Facebook, had they taught me about Facebook Live at Mizzou in the 90s, man, I would have been yes. really sick. things would have been different. I would have stayed yeah. with the Propecia. No. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, yeah. thanks so much for doing this. I enjoyed yeah. the hell out of it. Yeah, thanks. And uh, and, and I certainly uh, hope the Cardinal fans have enjoyed hearing your perspective on so many different topics here for the uh, state of the Cardinals as we go into the 2017-2018 off season. So along those lines here with the Tim McKernan show, like I said, it'll be long form interviews. Who knows what the hell will wind up popping up over the course of time. Uh, Gary Pinkle was our first one. If you missed that, I would recommend that about 90 minutes with coach Pinkle and coming up uh, next week, Senator Jack Danforth also will be sitting down with Clay Travis live here in the studios. In addition, and uh, Derek Gould kind enough to sit in here for episode two of the Tim McKernan Show. You can subscribe on iTunes. If you subscribe, subscribe to the TMA feed or listen on InsideSTL.com. For the Sea Monster, for Derek Gould, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been the Tim McKernan Show.